0: Hello and welcome to the Translation Company talk show, I'm Sultan Ghaznavi your host. And today we will be covering sales in the context of language industry in this one hour long show. I have a special guest who is very well known among colleagues in the language industry, but I have personally known her for several years and can certainly vouch for her skills and experience. My guest is Jessica Radke, and she doesn't require much of an introduction, but for the uninitiated, I will do a brief intro. Jessica Radke has 25 years of localization sales, sales management, and marketing experience for leading language service providers. She's currently managing director at Localization Sales, Sales and Marketing, a London and Austin, Texas-based sales and cross-cultural consultancy. Having worked with LSCs and sales professionals in over 45 countries, her services are designed to help LSCs increase revenue and profitability. Jessica holds an MBA and Bachelor's of Arts degrees in Foreign Affairs and German from Miami University in Ohio, USA. She also did postgraduate studies in German at University of Salzburg. Jessica has served as Chapter Manager for Women in Localization UK and is currently Assistant Manager of the Texas Chapter. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk, Jessica.
1: Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
0: Well, uh, let me dive into the very first question. Tell me, how did you start working in the translation industry and uh, was it by chance or a thought-out plan?
1: Well, I think like most Americans, we end up in this industry by accident unless, you know, one studies languages, which I did, but not to be a translator. So it was totally by accident.
0: Okay. So tell me about it. How did that happen?
1: Well, um, I was working for a British computer company and they were wanting me to sell third party software duplication. Well, diskette duplication and printing services. And this is dating me a little bit because it goes back to the day where everything went in a box and was mailed to people. And, and uh, nobody in the U S was that interested in third party European based fulfillment services. But one of the services they offered was localization and I could sell that. I just started talking to people about localization and the timing was just right. It was in 1992 and that was of course the year that that Europe became as more or less a single market at least the the major countries Right. So, it made it much easier for companies here to do business there and sell their products. So, yeah, it was like a lining of the stars. So, the
0: timing was right, yeah. <laughs> were you were you interested in, in, in sales and business development from the very beginning? Or did you work in other areas of the industry before doing sales and best ed?
1: No, I was, always, I was in a sales role in uh, other industries before I uh, came into the localization industry. So, always been in sales little bit of sales management before I entered the industry and a little bit of marketing but but primarily sales.
0: So let me ask you this, when you started selling localization, how did you find it different compared to selling anything else? I mean, you've been in sales for a while at that time.
1: I've always sold intangible products, so I didn't find it that different. What I found different from other intangible products was just trying to explain that other countries have different languages, different currencies, different formats, different everything. I think at the time, many of the customers in the U.S. had just not done a lot of business internationally, so I spent a lot of time educating them on that. So that, for me, was the biggest difference.
0: Did you receive any formal training uh, as a sales uh, person at that time? Um, Tell me about the journey to the sales world.
1: That's a long journey. I'll try to condense it for you. <laughs> it, it there, I had had sales training from my other roles, and these were big corporations that I had worked for before. So I started out with Xerox selling skills two. Which those of the people listening who've been around for a while will remember that I did not get a lot of formal sales training in this industry until I'd been in the industry probably for about six years. So I was using previous skills that, that I had developed to. And adapting them to the, the needs of, of the clients in this sector.
0: So, so did you find uh, formal training for localization sales to make a difference?
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think the reason I founded the company was because of, of that. They're partic- the, the big companies, yes, they have pretty big sales teams and a lot of sophisticated training my sweet spot and the companies that I focus on are a lot of the smaller to medium sized companies where there is either no sales function or a very rudimentary sales function. And I help these companies develop that because as we all know, things have been getting more and more competitive. And uh, if there isn't a good sales practice, then that generally means business is not going to remain steady. In fact, it might go down. So yeah, that's the reason I started this up.
0: How has the practice of um, sales and selling evolved in this industry from your early days?
1: Uh, there was a lot less competition, right. so it was—I would say it was a little bit easier. Well, it's actually it was a lot easier than it is today. But I think it depends on the sector. I had a lot of competitors, right. um, but I think today the barriers to the entry are quite low, um, and it just makes it that much more competitive. There are so many vendors. I think also impacting that is the fact that your competition isn't the company that's on the other side of town or even the other side of the country. They can be halfway around the world.
0: Absolutely. So things have changed. And I guess the more we have uh, opened up the borders and globalized, I think we've added to competition.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. With that, yeah.
0: So you are now providing uh, consulting and training support to language service companies. Uh, tell me how and when did you decide to move into this space?
1: Uh, I decided to move. Well, I was thinking about it for a while. I I decided to start my company in uh, 2011. So I've been in business for nine years. What prompted me to, to start the company was exactly, almost repeating what I said before, I was... I was attending industry events, and I was talking to a lot of the smaller companies, and they were asking my advice on how do I get more sales. And this kept happening, and I thought, huh, there might be something to this. And after a lot of consideration and I, I had hired a business coach who kind of kicked me a little bit to push me into to starting it because it sounded like there was a need and as I've discovered there absolutely was a need.
0: I, I guess you're busy, you've been you know, in high demand in our industry.
1: Yeah, I think it takes time to get name recognition. It took me time to build a reputation and a profile in the industry. I would say right now is the busiest time I have ever had since I started my company. Yeah, I'm kind of almost sinking under the workload, not quite, but it's a nice problem to have.
0: Well, I'm sure there are a lot of people who would like to be in your position.
1: I, I think so. These are very strange times and I just happen to be a lucky one.
0: So how does an engagement look like with you? So, Do you train executives on sales strategy or do you work with BDMs on sharpening their skills?
1: I do a bit of both. Uh, I would say for BDMs, it tends to be more on the training side. So I will conduct either a bespoke training for a particular company and they'll bring me in. Um, that's become increasingly more common. I've offered open courses online for smaller vendors who can't bring me in, can't fly me halfway around the world to deliver training to their one salesperson. So on that side, it's, it's open courses online and, and bespoke for companies who really want, want that. On the executive side of things, it's more consultancy. It, it can take all kinds of forms. Each one of those engagements is, is bespoke depending on the challenges that they're facing and the markets they serve and, you know, all those factors.
0: So let's talk about sales and our industry and the translation industry. What do you see as the top challenges that salespeople face today and how should they overcome those?
1: That's a big old question. I think, I think it is those competitive forces and I think it's customers. Customers today are spoiled for choice. They have a lot to choose from that combined with the, there's this tendency in our industry, especially among the the constituency I serve, there's a, a misperception about what good sales actually is. And there are some very old fashioned notions about sales. And my view is sales is more about helping clients also helping clients understand specifically how you can help them by uncovering. The issues they're facing or, you know, maybe they're trying to expand or they're trying to get into new services or anything like that where you can add value because quality delivery and and price, you know, a good price, on-time delivery, high quality just doesn't really cut it anymore. I mean, that's like the baseline just to even be in the industry. You know, nobody's selling slow delivery, high price and bad quality. So it's not a differentiator and it's really being able to connect with customers and explain why you can help them and why they should choose you
0: well that makes it all the more difficult because those three uh, three-prong approach or the three legs of um you, your offer which is quality and being on time and delivering something that is uh, you know uh, that the client likes uh, i forgot what was the third one you know quality price, price yeah and on time
1: quality price delivery yeah
0: I, yeah i almost lost that but How do you get all those three at the the same time? Because one of them cannot be met from my my experience.
1: Well, yes, that's exactly true. And I'm not saying that you can always do all three. Um, What I'm saying is, is you have to be able to help customers understand why they should choose you in the first place. Those would just be the minimum things, at least two of those three, right? you know, on top of that, you know, maybe your customer service is better. Maybe you offer services that they're unaware of that that could really help them. Maybe you have knowledge that can help educate them about a particular sector in the market. Um, all those added value things are what differentiate you and frankly, how you sell. And that's how you get people's attention is is those things.
0: I've been doing a bit of my own research and my own thinking about uh, business development. So one thing I think uh, clients care about and we don't do enough of it in our industry is to to speak about the client's concern. For example, if I go to a client and say, I want to sell translation to you and it's good and all that, it doesn't have that same impact if I tell them that I know you're selling in these 12 countries and I know that your expectations are to sell this much of this year, but uh, I can help you meet that by offering this value through language. Now they kind of understand and connect the dots and and they see the value. How do you do that?
1: Well, you have to self-educate for one. salespeople and, and business owners, quite frankly, need to understand their customers better. And I think this is the real disconnect. I think we've been able to ride the wave of globalization for a long time without really having to, you know, the value proposition was being able to get stuff out to market. And to your point is helping customers, again, understand how you can achieve help them achieve their objectives. And it's understanding what those objectives are. So it's not so much as selling a service, but figuring out which aspects of your service resonate with that client and you mapping your service to to that end objective. And it, I think from a skill standpoint, it's learning how to ask, good questions and extract mm. information from customers because we can't presume to solve all their problems until we know what those are.
0: Uh, absolutely. And that's where um, uh, research comes in. And I don't think we do enough of research about our clients.
1: Yeah, I think it's that's a tricky one because it's easy for an LSP that, that specializes in pharmaceutical translation. That's pretty easy. You know, you've got one market that you're serving maybe into multiple languages. That's what you become an expert in. I think it's a little bit harder when salespeople are asked to be an expert in IT, pharma, legal, uh, you know, marketing, whatever. Then it suddenly becomes a a little trickier. Um, or they have to be expert in travel or, you know, any other vertical that we serve. And I, my own anecdote for that is, and and pardon me for for taking the time, but I think it's an important point to make. Please, uh, I sold software localization for about eleven years. I and that was in the U.S. I moved to the U.K. and I started working for a company that specialized in pharmaceutical and life sciences. And I was really so not making my numbers. <laughs> and uh, you know, I was selling you know kind of the software localization way of selling as opposed to understanding you know the one client said well what are you doing to keep up to date on the in vitro device directives for the eu and i just went i'm not even sure what an in vitro device i said this to myself of course i really wasn't sure what it was and and i went oh i am doing this so wrong and so i had to learn that because i was just almost speaking if you pardon the pun a foreign language to these people and they were like why are you what are you trying to What are we talking about? You're not saying anything that means anything to me. So once I switched to understanding in vitro device directives and the whole process of getting a a pharmaceutical product to market, then things started to happen. And I started, thankfully, making my numbers.
0: It comes uh, down to knowing what you're selling and what the customer wants and connecting the dots, I guess.
1: In, at its most basic level, yes, I agree with that. And and I think the other thing is just being able to connect um, with customers in the first place and build trust. We have to be a little bit patient. Um, and I think this is where there's some... Maybe executive management disconnect. It, sales does take a bit of time. Building trust with somebody who already has three yeah. vendors is going to take some time to to build in order for them to trust you enough to change vendors because that's a pain in the neck. But-
0: uh, I attended the Lock World uh, online event for the first time uh, this year. Yes. I don't think you were there, but... Um-
1: I was. I was there. But,
0: but what I noticed was that uh, there were people from um, all parts of the world. First, I think the, the event, uh, the barrier to entry to the event was lower. So it was, uh, you know, the, the conference fees were lower and a lot of people were able to afford come in, which is a great thing. But what I also noticed was the aggressive nature of selling there. Every person you speak with, they want to sell you something. To me, salespeople lack uh, today, in our industry in particular, mm-hmm. those soft skills needed to develop a relationship and identify the opportunity and and create a fit, which looks like no one is doing right now. People just want you to buy their product.
1: I wouldn't say uh, no one is probably an exaggeration. I know some really good salespeople in our industry. I'm sure they are, yeah. I, I do think that there, there are probably a couple of different drivers for that. One is a lack of proper training. Second is a lack of having a sales process. And I've changed my sales process um, over time to... Actually, a much we used to have maybe five stages in a sales process. I have more than that now because it takes time to build that that trust in the relationship in the first instance. And that's my only goal when I meet somebody new. I'm not trying to sell, you know, do you want to buy for me? Do you want to buy from me? That's that's not the approach. It's hey, you know, this is what I do. Tell me about yourself. And we have a conversation. And then you ask for the next step in that process. You don't go all the way to the end. Because you haven't given them anything, any reason to even want to buy from you at that
0: point. You have to build a foundation and then build on top of that. And as the trust is there, then you they can listen to you. Before that, why would they buy from you if they don't trust you?
1: Yeah. And I also think it's easier to ask for an incremental commitment than it is to ask for, you know, the business in a first conversation, you ask for the next commitment. Oh, we've had a really interesting conversation today. I have some more questions. Would it be possible for us to schedule a 15 minute chat next week? That's pretty easy for a client to commit to. It's a lot harder for them to say, Oh, yes, I think I'll just give you all my business because we've had a A nice little chat at a table at an online (laughs) conference.
0: (laughs) It doesn't work like that.
1: It does not work like
0: that. I've heard you passionately speak about leveraging your project managers to do sales for you because customers know and trust them. Is that because it is easier to sell to existing customers?
1: Yes, I think it is easier to get more business out of people who already trust you. I, I say this with a caveat, and I know there's been some misunderstanding about my my course, um, at least I've heard some misunderstandings about it. Um, it's more about teaching project managers how to recognize a sales opportunity when they see it, because they're not, you know, why would they be trained in sales? They're not. Um, but they have the relationship with customers and a customer would be very inclined to help a project manager that they know and trust. It's also, you know, customers will indicate things, say things that 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 may or may not be a business opportunity. The the PM sometimes do very great jobs at acting on it. They just might hear about, you know, oh, we had a problem with our German vendor. Well, we, you know, do you know, we could do German too? You know, something that simple. If it's more complex, or the PM doesn't have the confidence or mm, enough experience to feel comfortable asking at least if they can recognize a sales opportunity that they can tell the salesperson in their company or they can tell the CEO hey i heard this today maybe it's worth following up on that so they have to use their judgment but i think that is those soft skills are going to become increasingly important in project managers I think second of all, you know, that's point number one there. But second of all, a lot of project managers might want to become account managers and it's a nice career path for them and for them to become an account manager, they must develop A certain amount of selling skills, even if it's just making customers aware of additional services, um, they have to come up with a more strategic mindset or learn a more strategic mindset. That's really the purpose of the course is more or less help them recognize opportunities and if they're comfortable, they can act on it. And if they're not, then they get someone else to do it.
0: The project managers in our industry, frontline workers, they get to see customers' problems and opportunities firsthand. Mm -hmm. So what you're trying to say is that we should uh, kind of monetize on that. We should take that seriously and that there's a big chunk of opportunity that probably in most uh, companies uh, goes unnoticed.
1: I think so. And I really do believe that project management brains are some of the most underutilized in the industry, not because they're not busy. The the problem is, is they're too busy. (laughs) They're so busy that... And they have so much information in their heads that I think there's tons of knowledge there that can be leveraged to develop deeper, stronger, bigger, more productive relationships with their clients.
0: Understood. So I've had several guests on the show in the past who spoke candidly about the why uh, or the reason of uh, for their company's existence and how it ties to the customer demand. I know we touched about it earlier when you said you were trying to sell healthcare products. Do you see a disconnect in that space today that salespeople don't seem to address?
1: We've kind of talked about this already. Some salespeople really don't connect the dots. <laughs> Right. I really good salespeople do connect the not the the dots. I think really good salespeople work hard to understand how translation impacts the customer's business and businesses are global today. Revenue revenue is dependent upon how well we do our jobs. It's not the only factor. But as we all know, a bad translation can be a big hindrance to good business. It can be a hindrance to even life, right? So understanding, I think this is the big disconnect. And I, I go back to the project managers. I don't think a lot of project managers have any idea what translation does for customers. They I don't think that there, some do, but I don't know that they understand that marketing translation gets attention on the internet. Right. I don't know if they understand that a a good legal translation could put a criminal in jail. This is that this is what we do and in fact I I was talking to a client earlier today exactly about that scenario that we touch all aspects of business and yes we provide translation but the translation does something. And, you know, it's what the translation does that's the important thing. The qu- that's what quality does. Good quality translation enables our customers um, to successfully use that communication in whatever form it is it, for their customers to either understand, use a product, buy a product, save a life, prosecute somebody, who knows what. We so many things.
0: Uh, from my experience and f- from my learnings over the years, a customer, when they want to do uh, a business deal with you, whether it's transactional or not, they are looking for three things. One, the job that they are hiring your, your service for. So in this case, translation, what's the trans? As you say, what does the translation do? Second, the gains that they are making. So for example, will their profitability will go up, whether they will get um, better justice for uh, people who who need it, and, and the, the pains that they would like to eliminate, uh, the pain points. So how do you identify, how do you get customer? to open up and talk about these things
1: well first of all you have to have credibility so it goes back to understanding it in the first place or at least having an idea about it and then this goes into selling skills really is is knowing how to ask questions and how to uh well develop rapport with clients so they'll want to share information with you but but asking questions with a purpose but with the purpose of understanding so that we can help the client. So rather, you know, the 80-20 rule applies, the Pareto law applies to sales. We should be talking 20% of the time and the client should be talking 80% of the time. Well, how do we get the client to talk 80% of the time? We ask really, really good questions that prompt uh, a lengthier response than a yes or a no. So if we ask and if we develop insightful questions that Enable the client to share with us what their problems are, how they do things, what their process is, where they're experiencing difficulty, why their objectives are getting harder, why they're moving into new markets and what does that look like? How are they going to manage that? Those are the kinds of things I think really it's just it's down to asking really good questions and then using that information in a smart way. (laughs) Absolutely. Ears on the side of your head to hear the answer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I agree with you on that eighty uh, twenty rule. I've heard you talk about that before, so I, I use that a lot. In fact, I try to use it a lot, and I agree with you that the more you let clients talk, they like to talk. They they would like someone to hear about their problems. But the problem is that most salespeople, not all of them, they talk more than the client. Unfortunately, leaving very little room for the client to to express their concerns.
1: Absolutely, and if the client isn't able to express them, how in the world would they know? what or how to buy from you because you haven't established, I mean, part of the questioning process is to get the client to identify their, to articulate their, the value proposition they're looking for. If you ask really good questions, they can tell you exactly what it is they need, and you can tailor your value proposition to that. Don't solve everything, solve what they need to have solved, do that well, and they'll probably give you more business.
0: So uh, let's shift gears here a little bit, Jessica. Let me ask you about uh, something different. Language translation companies of small and medium size uh, probably got started by people who were translators and didn't have business experience. Some were able to reach a certain level of growth and things got stalled. What do they need to do to break beyond the the ceiling that they're heading right now?
1: This one, to break out of that, I think this is a tough one because there are some entrenched beliefs, I think, that uh, need to be overcome. There are practical things. And this is one I see an awful lot is, oh, I want to hire a salesperson because we're kind of stuck. We haven't grown. I know I need to grow. I don't have the time to go out and sell because I'm running a business. But Part of the problem is, is having the capital to invest in all of the things that require a salesperson, sale, technology that drives it like a CRM, although that can be fairly inexpensive. Um, the recruitment process, all of that is very really time consuming and does cost money. Um, I think also knowing how to vet a salesperson is crucial. I, I have to say I've seen time and time again where... Business owners have have hired salespeople, but haven't really vetted them. They need to be, I don't know if mean is the right word, but they need to be pretty assertive. And they need to ask some really hard questions because there are a lot of salespeople out there who bounce from one LSP to another another LSP and another LSP and another LSP, which tells me either they pick a lot of really bad LSPs to work for, which is possible, or they have, they really are not very good salespeople. So I, I, think there are some practical things that that get in the way. In other cases, it's helping the CEO or the business owner l- get out of their own comfort and yeah. get out there and, and and learn how to sell as well. They know their business inside and out, and and selling skills. It's it isn't really rocket science, but it's it is a very I don't know how to describe it in this context. I guess it's, it, it bumps up against those misconceptions about what sales is. You know, they, they sold somehow, they got business somehow. So they did something right and it's, it's, also teaching them how to capitalize on the things that they're doing right.
0: I agree with you. And uh, nobody should be better than the the person who created the business or who operates the business and expressing the value that this business uh, delivers to its customers. So that's, in my opinion, in essence, selling. So if the CEO cannot do that properly, then nobody else can. And I think it starts from the top. He needs to know his own business, his own product, his offer, and make sure that it's compelling for people to buy. And then obviously, that, that will uh, trickle down to his salespeople, to his operations and everyone.
1: Yeah. Project managers, account managers, everybody. I agree.
0: Moving on, there are so many sectors and segments of clients that uh, language translation companies can target. Yet it seems uh, like translation companies, they lack focus. How do you develop the specialization and niche for your business in order to identify and target the right customer for prospecting?
1: Well, this comes down to a couple of things. I think in the broadest sense, it's understanding what's going on in the marketplace, what company, what kinds of companies are growing? What's the, you know, what, what is happening out there? That's part of it. And understanding trends, even in the industries that they serve, because if you're not one step ahead, you're going to get behind because everything is moving so quickly. Moving into a new niche is, is, is a pretty difficult proposition. I've worked for a number of companies who have, that requires a lot of learning and a lot of patience. Establishing credibility in an area that you have no experience is, is extremely hard. At the same time, you know, maybe, and I would say this is more the case for end customers or, uh, you know, MLVs serving an end customer, you might be serving their marketing department because you specialize in marketing, but you know the subject matter and that could be a nice segue into other parts of the business. And, you, you know, in that case, using your contacts and using their knowledge of their business to help you develop the expertise or at least what these people are looking for. Um, I think that might be an interesting way to segue or businesses that are related to one another in some fashion or another. Um, it isn't it is a leap between, I don't know, let's say pharma and. Um, medical device, but a lot of the same issues are there. So you've got part of the battle, um, covered and finding the right resources and having those at the ready, I suppose, is, is another, another way to do that. But it's not, it's, I find it a very difficult thing to do, um, because there are entrenched suppliers in those sectors more than likely.
0: Given the market dynamics and and the current conditions with COVID, people working from home, there's so much demand in certain industries. I think a lot of translation companies are thinking of pivoting. They want to get into areas that are in more demand. If they want to sell those, what's your advice for them?
1: One, my my feeling is is it's a little bit late for some. You know, everything online is is where where to be, and the companies who are able. And what I'm thinking of is, you know, Netflix, anything that that enhances an online experience or entertains people online or enables people to communicate online, run processes online, anything like that. I think that's one reason why the tech sector is doing so well i I think that ship has sailed a little bit i think it would be very difficult to get into those markets although i always have a caveat don't i um (laughs) although you know scale i know some some company i have clients who are serving those industries and scalability is a real issue for them right now they just can't handle the workload the
0: the volumes that are there yeah
1: volumes are just crazy so if i were a smaller SLV or regional MLV or something, I'd be thinking about marketing my services to companies who serve those markets. There has been a lot of opportunity in the medical, you know, medical sector for government, you know, informational stuff with with COVID. I'm not sure how much of that's going to continue. I think we kind of wait and see. But, uh, you know, I go back to what I said earlier, it's really looking at the market, but staying on top of the market dynamics and being able to react very quickly. In the interpretation area, those companies who are able to pivot from on-site to online, maybe they had the the tools and technology already established, and they were able to pivot very quickly. They were probably more lucky than anything else um, who saw COVID coming exactly. So, Yeah, I think it's really just paying attention to what's happening out there.
0: Let's talk about prospecting. In the age of LinkedIn and social media, I think it might be easier to identify a specific client and prospect. What is the process of prospecting in a translation company? How do you identify that one specific contact within a company who might be interested in speaking with you and telling you about their needs?
1: This is something I deal with all the time. Um, One, know who know or have some idea who buys the kind of translation localization transcreation whatever that you want to sell who buys that in general do your research using LinkedIn using Google using websites using all the tools that are available to you it's very easy to identify people now I get the question a lot well i I, I don't know if they buy that service or not uh, you know it doesn't say on their LinkedIn profile that I buy translation but using you know using a little bit of thinking there's nothing wrong with contacting someone who's plausible and having something again this comes back to having something really relevant to say to them and being able to 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 build a rapport and convey a value proposition in a pretty concise way Um, they may not be the right person but your chances of getting to the right person are much enhanced if you speak to someone within the company. I'm surprised today that a lot of salespeople still call receptionists, uh, you know, like the main phone number <laughs> get through to a client. And I mean, that's not the way to do it today. Um, you have a name so that you have some sort of chance of of getting to somebody, explaining how you can help the company and would they mind getting you to the right person. I think we have to be a little bit more creative, too, in, in COVID times because, you know, we're, we're having to rely on remote everything. We can't meet people at conferences so well anymore, not without better technology anyway. Of course. So, you know, I, I think we have to be conscious of time. I wouldn't ask for a big meeting. I would ask for a, a short amount of time, as I said earlier, just to ask for that tiny increment to get something going and 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 then build upon that. Um, I mean, there are tons of tricks to get through to people. Um, you have to take my training to learn all of those.
0: <laughs> of course, yeah, you don't wanna give away all the tricks. But, but just curious, how do you break the ice when you're talking to someone on LinkedIn? Do you, do you, obviously, you don't start by selling something as we talked earlier, you have to establish a report, you have to say hello to them and, and introduce yourself.
1: Yes. Uh, and, I you know, I'm on the receiving end of this all the time. Um, and now there's all the, there are these little automated things that just send messages out to anybody who seems plausible. Mm-hmm. And they tend to be it, it cannot be a generic message. It does have to be. A, a, a someone, yeah, it has to be customized. I would start with either we help companies in your sector. We've helped companies that are similar to you. This is how we've helped them. I mean, you know, I'm not talking about war and peace here. I'm talking about a summary. Um, I'm talking about, uh, in fact, one of my clients yesterday was telling me about, uh, an amazing sales call that she got as a, uh, when she worked for an LSP from a salesperson who said, you know, I'm not trying to sell you. I just want to see if there's any I can help you. I have, I think I have some ideas that might benefit your company. If you give me 15 minutes, we can have that conversation. If you don't like it, fair enough, but I have a feeling you will. So he didn't even take the 15 minutes. He did a three minute presentation, which basically, it was a summary of the ways he thought he could help. And he hit on two ways to help her. And she said, I didn't use him right away. I thanked him very much. I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And another uh, problem, a similar problem to all the previous ones that were related to what this sales guy had talked about, came up and she thought, you know what, I'm going to give this guy a call. So she gave him a call. He gave, she gave him a small project and a, a, another, actually some consulting work uh, to come inside their company and, and work with a few people in there. And in the end, a year later, he had a third of her business.
0: Wow. That's, that's an amazing story.
1: It is possible, but again, she said what he said was meaningful, it was thoughtful, it addressed all the things that kind of, you know, happen in a person's life in the company that I was working for. So it was, it's that extremely relevant uh, and the offer to help, not sell.
0: And that's what it comes down to because you need to offer something that they need and and you need to approach it from a consultative uh, role type of, as opposed to an aggressive salesperson role.
1: Yes, absolutely, and this was very much consultative, and it's it's, I think it's the same. It's not really that different in any other business. Nobody buys from high-pressure salespeople today. Um, Nobody wants that. I want somebody to listen to what I need, and if they can meet that need, great. If not, if they listen and and I have an intelligent conversation with them, I'm going to remember them. Because Absolutely. i be able to help me next month, next year, three years from now.
0: And Jessica, I think that there's this notion about salespeople. I think it came from the used car industry. We need to move on from salespeople to more of a business development type of mentality because we're developing a business, we're building a relationship. It's not a transactional, it's not a one time thing.
1: Transactional sales can be done without a person. You know, that's Nowadays, happening every single day of the week in our industry without, you know, we don't need a person. I think. I think those highly transactional, high-pressure salespeople are going to be a thing of the past. I'll give just... It's funny you mentioned the used car thing, but I've got another quick little anecdote that I read in the Washington Post this morning. And it was about a, a, not used car salesman, but a car salesman who's trying to pivot to an online environment selling cars in a, you know, new cars in a dealership. He's totally pivoted to an online environment. And in fact, he sold more cars in June, July, and so far in August than he did this time last year. <laughs> because he's been really creative and he said, you know, I don't need to do any of that high pressure stuff anymore. I'm building relationships with clients because the online environment's forcing me to, because nobody's gonna talk to me.
0: Of course, yeah. And people probably well, like to buy online out, especially if they want a touchless type of experience.
1: Well, it, it is very much touchless and and you know, I think people in our industry can do the same sort of thing. He develops, you know a relationship with people by, you know, asking, again, it comes down to asking questions and understanding. But I don't think there's going to be a lot of room for high-pressure sales it, it, it just it doesn't work today buyers are too sophisticated and nobody wants to be treated that way I don't want to be treated like a commodity the
0: marketing people develop the trust and relationship uh, or that awareness with customers right, right? and then by yeah. the time the customer warms up and comes to a salesperson how should a professional salesperson actually take advantage of that and it exploits not the right word uh, I mean I to take advantage of that relationship
1: yeah I see what you mean now I, I understand the question well, to me, that's just a gift. If you get that lead, I'd love to have a marketing department that did that for me without me having to do it for myself. But if if a salesperson is lucky enough to have uh, leads delivered to them from marketing, first of all, responsiveness is everything. They have to respond right away. And they have to, I think they still have to go back and It depends on how much information marketing is able to provide to them. If it's not very much, they kind of have to start at the beginning and ask them why they responded in the first place. What was it that attracted you um, to give us your name and address uh, or your name and phone number? Why did you get in touch with us? What what was it that that captured your interest And, and start at the beginning and then find out again? You still don't know that much about them. So, but, you know, and thanking them for that, um, because it is a gift, really. I don't really think there's a, any super sophisticated answer to that question. It's going back to sales basics, as, as we uh, have discussed earlier.
0: So, if the opportunity is presented, maybe the salesperson should jump on it and then take advantage well, of it.
1: Responsiveness is everything, because they may have filled out that form on four different other websites. Absolutely. Right. And, and by again, how we sell is a differentiator. So if you're responsive and, and you're the first one to call back with smart questions and knowledge to share with them, your chances of winning that deal are, are a lot higher. If you're slow and, you know, oh, I, I'm not sure, or you, you don't come across as, as um, knowledgeable or, Inter- uh, as interested, then you're probably going to be second, third, or whatever, or just not considered at all.
0: On that topic, how do you build a pipeline of leads? Do you have to do your own lead generation? If uh, you're a small LSP, this can mean a lot of time.
1: Yeah, there are all kinds of ways to peel that onion. Um, if it would be great if there were marketing programs. Those are it's getting much better, and I do think that LSPs today, smaller ones in particular. Really need to think hard about marketing. Some of it is, is quite easy. Um, I see a lot of smaller LSP CEOs developing really good content on LinkedIn and sharing it there, sharing it. They're, they're, they're getting well. Online now that they more and more are speaking. They're on the podium at conferences. Um, they're going to conferences. Their customers would go to and, and learning so that they can create more good marketing content. So I think that's, that's part of the process. And again, it seems daunting if you're the CEO and you're managing a lot of other people, but you, I, I think small LSPs, they have specialties. They have opinions. They have ideas. I'm sure they, you know, a lot of the problems that uh, end customers give MLVs, get passed right on through to SLV. They know how to solve some of these things. So they have a lot to say about that relationship and how that can be better. And again, how they help customers, um, opinions about things, because that visibility helps. I mean, I can even say it for myself, the more active I am at publishing, my own opinion and my own thoughts, the more leads I generate. So that can really help. I I don't think salespeople sitting around waiting for leads to come in from marketing, though, is the best strategy. I think that means they're not going to make their numbers. There has to be proactive hard work. I would say more targeted hard work pays off. This is where that industry expertise you just can't be a jack of all trades. You become a master of not very many or none. So if you have that expertise and it's in, a, in an area that, you know, customers are, are buying in, then the hard work is making contact with people. Yes, cold, you know, cold calling, I don't really believe in. Warm calling, I do believe in. It still works. I do it not often, but I do do it and I do establish a report of people because I very well know what my prospective customers face in the marketplace, and I can speak to that. Um, Lead generators are kind of an interesting thought. For me, I'm not sure. I've seen great lead generators pass things on to at least pre-qualify leads for salespeople, but in my view, the jury's still out on how effective that is. But relying on just marketing or relying on just sales, it it really has to be a combination of both today and using. We have so many communication tools today.
0: On that note, what's your favorite communication tool and what's the most effective one for a translation company? Uh, I know that cold calling is not your favorite, but there's email, social media, so many other things.
1: I found, from my opinion, is that LinkedIn is a great place for B2B profile building. It's also a place where you can get in touch with people. I get messages. I get very relevant messages from people and I do read them and I do actually respond to, to many of them if they're really well thought out messages so linkedin for me is a favorite i think because with the exception of a few industries most people have a profile for certain other industries i suppose facebook is is a means for me i have found it a little bit less effective although some of my clients find their clients on facebook and develop leads through there which i think is interesting um but I think that's more consumer-based kind of stuff than B2B. than B two B. Yes, uh, I think leveraging those anything where business um, takes place. Email, yes, but again, the message has to be relevant. Um, you know, spammy stuff. You know, even personally for me, the response rates I get are a lot lower. If I take more time and personalize the message, my response rates go much much higher. So I, I think all of those things. And I think you have to try different things. You have to try and see where where are your customers and what do they respond to and learn from it? Where, you know, certain people in a certain industry spend their online time.
0: Absolutely. Time is uh, not infinite. You only have so much of it and you have to budget it properly. That brings me to the next question, which is kind of related. I think a sales strategy will define all of the steps and processes involved. Uh, How do you create a sales strategy that's effective and makes sense for your LSP or language company?
1: It takes a lot of discussion. It takes a lot. I, I don't want to say a lot of time. Sometimes the time is rather finite, but it I really need, in order to develop a sales strategy, I need to understand what the customer, what, what the LSP does, what they think their value proposition is, where they think their sweet spot is, what they've done in the past and has not worked and what they've done in the past that has worked. Where do they want their business to go? Um, what sectors do they think they can maybe have a chance of entering if that's part of the strategy is it, you know, it really is all over the place in terms of, of um, you know, the engagements are completely different. Sometimes it's building, I mean, they have no sales strategy. So it's suggesting sales strategies based on what I know about their business and their customer base and, and working out the, the steps in that process. So, and, and that even goes into a bit of marketing because I think you have to have the two really work much more together today than ever. So it, it can be all over the place. In other cases, it's, oh, would you take a look at what we're doing and just make recommendations based on what you see. Or we're having issues in a particular area and we're not sure how to solve it. Um, and a lot of those, they think one issue is just one issue and it turns out to be something much bigger, um, you know, more of an endemic kind of problem. But it can be everything from starting from scratch and, and more or less a go to market strategy to tweaking things here and there.
0: Okay, developing a strategy is one thing, and then come it comes down to executing it. What is needed to execute and implement a strategy in a way that meets the goals and objectives of that plan?
1: Well, part of part of that, I didn't. I, I kind of gave an overview in my last answer, but part of that process is very related to the answer to this question. So, yeah, it's all wonderful to have the goals and everything, but we have to we have to establish uh, a timeline first of all, and then we have to establish measurements. What are the measurements of success? I mean, obviously, revenue is going to be the big thing. That's number uh, one. That's number one. Uh, but that's, you know, that, that that is not, especially if it's a, a, a brand new sales strategy, that's going to be, you know, somewhere down the line. So you have to measure um, I always quote this guy. Um, his name is Skip Miller. He wrote some sales management books. Oh gosh, I want to say about 10 years ago, but his axiom, and I have to borrow it from him because this is the axiom I, I try to convey to my clients, which is you have to measure what causes sales to happen. So what is it that, you know, if, if we've hired a salesperson, are they doing the right things? Are there skill gaps that we still need to fix? Are there skill gaps in management? Do we have the right tools? And, you know, because the, having the right tools enables you to measure things much more readily. Are the people using the tools? So I'm speaking of, I'm, I'm alluding to a very specific instance, which is getting salespeople to enter data in a CRM system, which is a bit like herding cats sometimes. Um, but you need data in order to measure progress and success. So we have to set, you know, there's soft skills, measures of success. There's hard data measures of success. You know, how many calls? I don't know about that. Um, You know, how many people did, did I, how many decision makers did I identify? How many, how many quotes were sent out? How many quotes were followed up on? How many quote reviews or proposal reviews were done? What were the results of those? Why did we lose them? We have to look back at why we lost. Let's fix those reasons. So, you know, it really is establishing the right measurements and monitoring that over a period of time. So we visit that. Probably initially on a more frequent basis, and then we start looking quarter by quarter.
0: Okay. It's a good time to ask you about CRM, and the tools that we use for our business. I know that there's not a specific one created for the translation industry. I mean, we, we try to use aid solutions and uh, some of the existing project management solutions, which have all kinds of tools in it, they lack in the CRM area. What's your favorite CRM tool? Why? And do you suggest that there should be one developed for our industry?
1: First of all, I'll answer that last question first. I don't think developing one for our industry is necessary. I think many years ago I might have said that. I, I, I think there, there are advantages to it, but I don't know anybody who wants to develop it because I think it would have been developed Already the tools that are in the industry in terms of the, you know, TMS systems that have a little bit of a CRM kind of attached to it, I guess, uh, that's customized. I mean, there are advantages to that because you're only doing data entry once, I guess. Um, and unless there's an API from one CRM to a a TMS system, yep, there's going to be some duplication of effort, but in, you know, I, I, I think. If it's a teeny tiny LSP that um, is not wanting high growth and, you know, managing that from a, a TMS type CRM, that's, that's okay. But the, the CRMs that are really designed, I mean, they're designed for salespeople. They're designed to monitor sales progress. They're designed to help managers see what their salespeople are doing. They're designed to help salespeople who have, you know, multitudes of contacts manage those relationships so they don't forget to do things. Right? Uh, you know, for me, if I rely on my written notes or whatever, I mean, things won't get done. I need i need those things to, to pop up in front of me and suggest to me Um, what I need to be doing. The CRM systems today, and I'll get to my favorite one, Um, you know, they connect like once you've identified a prospect, those can link to their LinkedIn profile, their Facebook page, well, maybe not Facebook, but you know, you can see their Twitter account, you can see what they're posting, you can follow their company and have stuff pushed to you um, so that you can have that information at your fingertips. So when you make that call, you've just had a look at their Twitter feed, you've had a look at what's happening in their company, and you sound really, really smart. I don't know any system homegrown in our industry that can do that because knowledge is such a differentiator i mean a lot of salespeople. i know this is a long-winded answer but it's important a lot of salespeople say well i don't have time to read all this stuff and this is where tools can be so helpful because you can program them to push information to you in the crm it doesn't even have to be separate it can just be there when you log into somebody's record so i find you know those sorts of things. Why, why reinvent the wheel when you've got professional companies with developers who've been doing this for years and years and years, and have feedback from a multitude of users about what salespeople need in the marketplace today? So, if they already have connectors to all, you know, the social platforms and news uh, sources, why develop it? Right. Right. A
0: better thing to say is that maybe we should look into integrating them to our tools. That way, it would be easier to move the records from CRM into um, you know, the project management systems or production systems that we have.
1: Yes. And there are, I mean, Salesforce has APIs to, to most of the tools in our industry. The problem with Salesforce is it is, one, way too expensive and overkill right. for a small LSP. <laughs> of course. Uh, I love Salesforce. It's my, it is my favorite tool because I've used it for years. But there are, um, there, there are a few tools that are, I think, more appropriate. HubSpot, not the marketing side, but the CRM side is kind of an interesting tool. Very easy to use. It, you can start small for free. Um, you'll soon run into, you'll need the paid. Yeah. At some point, but those are not horribly, horribly expensive. I mean, not compared to Salesforce anyway. Um, insightly is an interesting product it's it's not as web-based i suppose i don't know what no it's not web-based but it's it's a little bit less user-friendly i think than hubspot but it is more powerful in the the basic version of it it just takes a lot of customization i think to get it to to do what we would want it to do and there's another one called zoho it's it's a pretty Actually, Zoho is a pretty interesting product. The basic one is like $12.99, but it does pipeline reports. It does, you know, funnel sales funnels. You can manage an awful lot of things from there. It's got plugins to uh, social media. Again, that's the baseline price. And as you add users and functionality, you'll pay a bit more. But those three, I think, would be the more appropriate I think HubSpot being the easiest to uh, adopt because it's, it is very straightforward. Um, I think it's a pretty, pretty cool tool.
0: Okay, well, thank you for sharing that. Let's, uh, as we're talking about tools, let's continue talking about technology. We have put AI and machine learning to good use in our translation practices where applicable, such as you know machine translation. Does it play a role in improving sales and client acquisition? Uh, what are some of the applications of AI in sales?
1: Well, it's funny that you bring that up. I gave a presentation on this last year, actually. Uh, it's still in it's in early stages. There are some tools out there that are um ai enabled i think some of it is is relevant for our industry some of it is is less relevant it can really help on the research side of things and i think that's where i think there's still some work that needs to be done but there's there's there are plenty of companies out there um pursuing this but again The best salespeople know and understand not just what they're selling, but who they're selling to. And company information, person information, role, so what their role is in the company and understanding the trends in in that uh, is crucial to really, I think, developing that rapport and, and actually proactively presenting ideas to customers but that requires an awful lot of information and i think on the research side of things that's where ai is going to play probably the the most important and kind of coolest role because if you can have you know ai go out there and i want to know x about this role in this industry in this company or this set of companies and i want it presented back to me in this format and it takes 5 minutes if that you know, that is very powerful where that might take days for a salesperson to research or somebody to research. Do it manually. So I think that for me, that's number one. There there are a lot of other areas that, you know, maybe customers pre-qualify themselves and, you know, use chat bots and all that sort of thing. Um, I know some companies who are exploring that, um, some with some success. I think the jury's out on that. Uh, as to whether that works in our industry or not. I think it might work for certain sectors of the industry. But I do think also um, one last comment on that is just reporting. And having been a salesperson for the majority of my life, I'm, I really hate doing manual work reports and detailed work is what I'm trying to say. So expense reports, putting together reports for this, that, or the other thing, um, not so good at, at, at those sorts of things. If I could automate any of that, I would be really, really happy because I, I think AI's role is going to be to maximize selling time rather than research time, admin time. So taking away some of that admin tasks that salespeople do, I think machines are in a pretty good position to do it. Right. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, you know, of course uh, anything that's mundane or repetitive boring for people, I mean we c- we could give it to machines. Well, we are um, getting to the end of the interview, but I would like to ask you about your advice for business development people in the translation industry. What advice do you have for them?
1: Be a consultant. Consult with your customers. Be re- be resilient. It's I have to say I think persistence pays off, resiliency pays off. It's tough out there. It really is and Being a consultant for me takes the sales word kind of out of the picture and, you know, develop your skills. You know, the way people buy keeps changing. We're going to have to adopt new ways. You know, we've just talked about the impact COVID's had on sales. I think we don't know what it's going to look like three years from now, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be different. So read sales books, find interesting people to follow who are what I would consider sort of corporate, well, follow me, I guess. But, (laughs) you know, follow some corporate sales gurus out there who deal with Fortune 500 companies and are developing really interesting um, content online. There There are just so many resources out there to hone skills. And the best salespeople I know are also honing their selling skills. They're always refining. Listen to yourself on the phone. If you cold call, listen to what that sounds like. And then ask yourself, would you buy from me? You know, would I buy from me? Would I talk to you? <laughs> Read your emails as if you're receiving them from somebody else.
0: Be your own put critic.
1: Your, uh, put yourself in the other person's shoes. So I guess, you know, in summary is be a consultant. Know your stuff. Be creative. come up with ideas to share with customers based on that knowledge that you're developing and and keep keep up to date on those selling skills. There is so much out there.
0: Great advice, uh, Jessica, thank you. but this is the last question I have for you. Please tell me about your business and how you add value to sales team inside a translation company. Uh, if someone wanted to reach out to you and hire your company, how would they be able to do that?
1: Well, there are any number of ways they can reach out to me. Uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, phone, Skype. I'm on all those platforms. That's pretty it's pretty easy to find me. I think more to the point is the the value I add to companies and I think from from my heart I really want to help LSPs in general do a better job at educating their clients on why they should be their vendor. We provide such an amazing service and we foster global communication. And I think in the end, that's my passion. And I want, I would love for salespeople in our industry to have that passion and share that passion with customers because that also helps in that process. The other thing, I mean, the other value I add is I stay on top of, I read all the sales gurus. I'm out there selling myself. What I did 20 years ago does not work today. Some aspects of it work today, but the market's changed. I have competition out there too. I have to continue to be visible. I have to continue to remind people why they should do business with me And I have to continue to deliver so that they come back and want me again
0: absolutely well jessica i want to thank you for your time and for your deep and insightful thoughts on such an important topic it's the number one topic in now our industry right now being discussed i'm sure our listeners enjoyed every bit of this conversation i want to extend an open invitation for another conversation to dig deeper into these topics uh, we discussed today so again thank you so much i really enjoyed this conversation
1: well me too i really appreciate the opportunity and i would love to have another chat that would be great
0: absolutely looking forward to it thank you Okay, it is time to review three products as usual. The products I'm reviewing today are relevant to sales and marketing and useful for translation companies. The first product I'm reviewing is InsightSales.com. They offer a platform that allows for lead scoring, opportunity scoring, predictive forecasting, sales communications, and tracking via email and web. It is a cloud-based product and I give it a 9 out of 10. Our second product for review today is Insightly. It supports a full-fledged CRM and a marketing automation platform. The marketing platform allows you to easily define your customer journey and a neat workflow type too. It also allows you to create good-looking emails without hassle. You can create embedded forms to capture people's interest and feedback. Besides that, the marketing system provides analytics and insights. It is not cheap, but it does have quite a bit of potential. I give Insightly 8 out of 10. The third product I'm reviewing today is People.ai. They offer a number of solutions, but I'm interested in their sales products. They claim that their AI for sales product automatically increases productivity and gives salespeople more time to focus on closing deals. In addition, it identifies areas of opportunity for coaching, provides visibility and insights into deals and the sales process, offers reporting and forecasting, automatically increases CRM adoption, and role-based activity sync and reporting. I've not tried this software, but based on available information, I'm going to give it a nine out of 10. That is all the time we had for today. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jessica and I'm sure you learned a few things about sales and the language industry. This is going to be an ongoing topic and I hope to be able to engage Jessica and other professionals in the near future. If you have any comments or feedback, I would like to hear from you. Look me up on LinkedIn and share your thoughts. Subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on iTunes, Spotify or your favorite platform and don't forget to give us a five-star rating. Until next time,
1: Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.